Welcome to the Contemplative Science Podcast, brought to you by Monash University. This is the podcast for anyone interested in what lives on the overlap of cutting-edge science and ancient spiritual practices. From monks to neuroscientists, our expert guests join Dr. Mark Miller and Jamie Slevin to explain how contemplative practices work, and crucially, how they can help us improve our lives. Join us each week for Ancient Wisdom Made Practical. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Contemplative Science Podcast. This week, our guest is Dr. Anna Yusum. Anna is an internationally recognized, award-winning psychiatrist and executive coach. She is the best-selling author of Fulfilled, How the Science of Spirituality Can Help You Live a Happier, More Meaningful Life. She's helped over 2,000 people in 60 countries achieve greater impact, purpose, and joy in their life, as well as having published over 150 academic articles, book chapters, scientific abstracts, book reviews, and articles for the lay public. We're extremely excited to have her on. We had some technical difficulties when recording the podcast, so we've lost the first five minutes. We jump in with Anna about to explain the importance and role of intuition. And I think the important fact here is that thoughts are not facts and emotions are not facts. And so both of these things are ultimately important parts of our life that we want to integrate, but neither of those are gods, nor is intuition God necessarily. So you want to be able to tap into your emotions, to tap into your reason, to distill down what is most useful in both of those. But then it's ultimately your intuition that I believe is your integrator. It takes your reason, your emotion, and then pulls it all together with something deep within yourself that neither reason or emotion can give you alone. And it pulls through to find the best possible course of action for a given set of decisions. And you can use reason to make, what should I eat for breakfast? What's the healthiest choice in this, this, and this you know, domain? But for important questions, what work should I do in my life? Who should I marry? Who do I love? Those are questions for deep intuition. Emotion plays a part, but it's actually deeply intuitive questions at the at the outset. This might be too obvious to ask, but I'd, I'd love to hear what comes from it. I mean, why is it that when we're not living like that, why do we get sick? Like, again, it might seem too obvious that people listening right now are thinking, yeah, if you don't live like that, you're going to get sick. But you work in the medical field with people in a sort of medical level. I mean, you see sickness come straight out of a misalignment with our appreciating that we're part of a network and our figuring out who and what we are. Why do we get sick like that? I just want to hear more of what you'd say to that. Absolutely. Well, I believe that we are mind, bodies, and souls, and we are all in one, and we manifest as a physical body in a 3D reality. But there is a soul that transcends time and space, and there is a mind that we have. And, you know, there's many ideas on consciousness and whether the mind is just a filter from much higher dimensions into this 3D reality, or whether we're just materialistic and the mind is the brain, right? I believe that we are actually beings that are so multidimensional. And so therefore, when we are misaligned with our soul, which is exists on the higher dimensions, what happens is the trickle-down effect of the misalignment ultimately affects our mind and body. And it can manifest as anxiety, depression, cancer, it can manifest as all sorts of things. And it's complicated too, because at the end of the day, Mark, we all get sick, right? We all get sick and die, or we all die. That's just part of being a human being. And what enables us to have full health and vitality and well-being in our lives is to the degree that we are able aligning with our souls as much as we can in as many aspects of our life as we can to be healthy. 
And it's not just aligning with ourselves. We also need to align with our body and give our body healthy nourishment, align with our minds and do what our minds need to be healthy, which is to surround ourselves with intellectual stimulation, to get plenty of rest, to do whatever our minds need to feel vibrant and aligned. So it's aligning with the mind, body, and soul all together, which keeps us young, healthy, and fulfilled. It's like a Ken Wilber approach where you want to be doing a little bit every day for every one of the sort of parts that make you up. And then the important take home here is that there's a soul part that you might be overlooking. You might think, yeah, I take care of my mind and I take care of my body. But when was the last time you really took the time to figure out like, who are you really? And can you take steps towards helping bring that out and make that real? Have you thought about recently how you fit in your network? And, you know, are you serving? You know, because that's a good way, I think, probably to get into that network space is to find somewhere you can serve your community. I think about that all the time. In my little community, if somebody's having a hard time where they're like, oh, something's going wrong in my life, I always find myself saying to them, you should serve, you get out and help some people, you know? Rather than thinking it's only a matter of getting more help for you, sometimes just helping others sort of frees that up. And that sounds like soul work in the way that you're talking about soul work. 100%. And I actually believe, you know, if we're looking for a good life and what it means to feel fulfilled, being able to be of service to others yeah. in whatever way that you want to be of service and whatever way you can be of service in your uniqueness of your soul is one of the most important things. Because otherwise, if we're taking, 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 we are essentially vessels, right? And all we take in, whether it's money or whatever we take in, it's just light and too much light and not having a great enough vessel burst the vessel. That also leads Kabbalistically, right? Mm -hmm. To mental illness, to physical illness, et cetera. So we always need to get flow and we need to be in flow, particularly in those areas in our life where we are already in abundance. If we have a lot of money, it's so important to be giving to charity. If we have mm -hmm. talents, if we have skills, if we have optimal health, it's so important to be using whatever we have to be able to give to others. Mm -hmm. The more flow we have, the healthier we become, the more fulfilled we are. The really interesting sort of diagnostic claim here that I like is even though you might have a physical or mental illness, it's reductive to say that's because it has a directly, obviously, physical or psychological cause. As much as, no, 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 hang on, these are feedback mechanisms and unrest or illness in the mind or body are manifestations of a deeper disalignment. And upon realigning, you see those symptoms no longer need to be there to the same degree. Absolutely. The mind, body, and soul are totally connected. Anything that affects your soul affects your mind and body. Anything that affects your mind affects your soul and body. Anything that affects your body affects your soul and mind. That's just the way we are. They are not separate. They are not distinct. We are all so connected. And if we don't cherish and honor every part of ourselves and help others to honor those parts of themselves, ultimately something gets misaligned. So in a clinical context, if you're seeing someone with a bunch of symptoms and let's say they have physical and mental symptoms, what questions are you asking to unearth the disalignment? Yeah, yeah. I think it's taking as thorough of a history of who this person is, like looking at the whole person, mind, body, and soul. So what are the physical symptoms? When do they begin? What triggers them? What makes them better? What makes them worse? What do they believe the physical symptoms to be due to? Is it purely a physical thing? Do they believe that there is something psychological underneath? And then looking at the psychology, when did this begin? How does it manifest? What are the things that make it better and worse? And then looking at the whole person. Who is this person? What is missing in their life? What is the greatest source of pain in their life? What are their soul corrections or those things they believe their souls have come into this world to correct? How aligned do they feel with their purpose? How aligned do they feel with their life in general? How healthy do they feel they are in their diet and their lifestyle and their habits, et cetera? What do they ruminate about? What do they obsess about? What's the greatest source of their pain? So that's just the beginning. And it sounds like once you have that information, it'll become obvious where the misalignments are, where the shoulds are, 
where we're behaving and thinking out of sync with our flow, I think is as good a term as any. Yes, for the most part. For the most part, I also do believe that we do come into this life with karma from the past. So there could be stuff. We've done everything in this lifetime, and yet there's still something holding us back. We've tried to align, etc. And then we have to look deeper and we have to unearth every single layer and see what we may have brought in from other lifetimes. If you believe in that, I know that's not necessarily the scientific explanation, but if you have that belief system, you can bring things in that don't necessarily even fit into those categories that are a deeper category or it could be intergenerational. It's something that your mother or father could have brought in that you have to clear on the intergenerational level. There's so many things that could affect our being. And interestingly, everything can cause everything. So it's a whole different understanding of causality, of disease, of everything. It's a very different model of the universe, really. Well, you've spoken about physicians as meaning makers. Is that sort of what you meant? Hmm, nice. Yeah. At the end, this is all about meaning making, right? It's about finding who we are, what we most deeply want, how we can give to the world, how we can live the best life possible while helping to make a difference and to make meaning of those things that are suffering and pain in our life. Because no matter who we are, no matter how aligned we are, all of us are going to have challenges to overcome, suffering to deal with, and pain to have to move through in this lifetime. What's the practical checklist someone listening can run through to ask themselves in the back of a napkin kind of way, how aligned am I? Nice. How do you check in? Yeah, it's a great question. I think that first you ask yourself, what do I most deeply want? Do I have a sense of why I'm here on earth? And that's not something somebody has to give you. It's not something from on high. It's something that you know or that you create for yourself. And that can also change over time. Your purpose and meaning can change over time based on your life experience, situations. For myself, for instance, I never thought I was going to be a spiritual person. Had you asked me 20 years ago, I would have laughed if someone had told me spirituality was going to be a part of my life. Never, ever, ever. And then things shifted and it became such a central piece and it's what I have defined my whole career around. So are you living your life meaningfully? Are you giving back to others? Who do you hold grudges against and what do you need to do to forgive those people? Do you have practices that bring in peace, equanimity, and joy and neutrality into your life every day? What negative emotions do you feel regularly? And what do you need to do to start to let go of some of those emotions and replace those emotions and the vacuum or void that fills with positivity, joy, neutrality, equanimity? Right. Nobody's ever asked what the meaning of life is while they're surfing. Because at the point you're surfing and you're in flow and you're aligned, it doesn't feel like there needs to be an extra answer to the question, why are you on this earth? So as a point of check-in, I really like it because it gets directly to the heart of what do I find meaningful? It's not something that you need to be given in a more high level way than that. That's precisely right. And actually existential psychiatrist Irvin Yalom writes about that. He says that when we have death anxiety, this fear of death that many people have, the only time when we actually fear death is when we feel as though we have a lot of unlived life within us. Mm. When we are living life fully and mm. with 100% gravitas and magnitude and vitality, we don't ask that question. And it's the same with meaning and purpose. Mm. What are the fundamental misconceptions, and I think we've hinted at them, that people have about the relationship between science and psychiatry and spirituality? Mm, nice. So many good questions today, Jamie. I just feel like every time you're asking, I'm like, that's such a good question. I love this. Sorry. Yeah, keep going. They're the best. He's channeling the best questions. Totally. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I mean, I think that the primary misconception is that they're fundamentally opposed, right? And ultimately, they are two very, very similar things. Freud believed that 
belief in God was ultimately a delusion of sorts, right? And then Mm -hmm. there are other people who are very spiritual and there's spiritual ideas to the exclusion of science. We want to be able to integrate them. And that's what I feel is one of my missions, that faith without science is blind, science without faith is lame. I think Einstein said something of that sort. So it's really about integrating the two and figuring out the different questions that they pose and the different answers that they ultimately come to in order to help us live whole, fulfilled, and empowered lives. No wonder contemplative training is an important resource for this discussion to sort of fruit in people's lives. Because what you're asking people to do, and I think it's so valuable and so important that we get in touch with this part of ourselves, that's not easy. It's not easy. It's good to have a guide. It's probably crucial that you have some good friends. But a lot of it is about you being able to discern for yourself, who am I? What sorts of things make me up? Which ones are valuable? Which ones aren't? You have to have a real authentic curiosity, sensitivity to like trying some things out, you know, trying to what happens if I change this? What if I change that? What if I try something dangerous for myself? I understand why a contemplative training program would be valuable for that kind of endeavor, because meditation of all sorts are hopefully helping us to become more discerning. Do you teach meditation as part of your health crisis management with people? Is this something that like you appreciate also as a tool for this sort of inquiry? Absolutely. Very much so. And I have gotten most into meditation actually through the work of Joe Dispenza. Interestingly, he's a meditation teacher that does specific guided meditations. And over the course of one week, you meditate 35 plus hours together. And for me, that was very, very transformative because I felt like very distinct things in my life started to shift as a product of me really sitting in meditation. And you see how powerful the act of being versus doing becomes. I'm such a doer. And doing is being able to manifest things in the masculine way, right? I've mastered that. Being able to manifest things in the more feminine way is to be able to be and let things come to you and be able to be in a state of receiving. So I'm kind of at that point in my life where I'm straddling these two different ways of being and doing and manifesting and trying more now to be more, do less and receive in my life. Mm. Is that masculine feminine dynamic you've spoken about in terms of doing and receiving, being and accomplishing? something that you've come to recently? Most definitely. And I think on a deeper level, this is, I'm going to tell you more, kind of more as a metaphor, but we all have a vibrational frequency, right? And as we elevate our consciousness, as we expand in our perception, we increase our vibrational frequency. Kabbalistically, the higher our vibrational frequency, the greater the destiny we attract to ourselves. And so I really do believe that in sitting in 35 hours of meditation, something shifts in my vibrational frequency and I leave. And in addition to my seeing the world anew, so this perceptual shift that happens in me, something actually happens in my outside reality. And that's often how I define the success of a meditation practice or any other spiritual practice. I also am a psychonaut. I do now and then psychedelic journeys in places where they are legal. And to be able to have that experience, I often will exit, check my email, and something that I've really needed to move in my life has moved. And it's not because I've done anything, it's because I had this journey and somehow shifted my vibration. So I think that there is this amazing level on which we interact with the world, the world interacts with us, that's on vibrational frequency, that is a little bit different than how we often see the world, and it's really fascinating to me. I'm being reductionist on purpose. How does the attention practice of being on your breath, how do we go from there to a change in either vibrational frequency or something in the world playing out? Nice. Yeah, I think that our, I mean, I'm going to give you kind of my metaphorical answer is that our vibration Mm -hmm. is ultimately a product of 
our mind, body, and spirit and the health of our mind, body, and spirit. And so what we are ultimately doing by doing a meditation practice where you focus on your breath is you are probably with that enhancing all of that. You're enhancing your heart rate variability by putting more energy in your sympathetic system, less in your sympathetic, more in your parasympathetic. And in doing so, your mind is calming down. And when your mind and body are more in harmony, your spirit is able to flow. So I think that that's the way in which you change your vibration. Your vibration is mind, body, and spirit together, all coming together in one. And so shifting any one of those, for instance, individuals who change their diet and start to assume a very spiritual diet, you know, a diet that's very clean in many ways, they're going to change their vibration. People who start to clear their mind of dark and negative thoughts who undergo a powerful forgiveness practice, try to bring joy into their life every day, they're going to change their vibration by shifting it through mind. And the same with spiritual practices. There's numerous spiritual practices through which you can also shift your vibration. So any of those create vibrational shifts. And I say that more metaphorically, but also I believe that there is some sort of spirit, like scientific basis for it as well. This quite neatly explains why people really are into different stuff. I could have a totally different frequency to you. And what being in alignment, it sounds like, looks like to me could be the exact opposite to you. So this is a non-prescriptive model in terms of action. It's just saying get aligned and get the mind, body and soul kind of working in tandem. Is that a fair assessment? That's a fair assessment and do whatever you need to do to figure that out. Just like Mark said before, you have to be Mm. curious, you have to be contemplative, you have to figure out what works for you and you have to try a lot of different things and you have to be comfortable with uncertainty to go into places you haven't gone before, to try out things you haven't tried before. And you have to be open to failing. You could try something that was a abject failure or that brought me into really, really dark places. That's also a part of this process, right? We're thinking about increasing vibrational frequency. Part of that is confronting your demons, owning your shadow side, feeling suffering, learning how to transmute pain, not to transmute pain, but really feel, feel pain and then feel it and then let it go. You cannot have a spiritual journey with spiritual bypassing. You have to go through the difficulties. You have to go through the pain. You have to be able to get to the other side of all of that in order to have, you know, full life and the vibrational frequency that you ultimately crave. Tell me about the film An Open Mind. Yeah. So that's a film that I started making a few years ago. And it's about those parts of the human experience that are difficult to study scientifically, such as our interconnectedness as human beings. I had an experience when I was on a Kabbalah trip in the Ukraine once where I woke up there in the middle of the night. We'd gone to the grave sites to pray at many of the graves of the Kabbalists that night. And I woke up in the middle of the night feeling that something was terribly wrong. And I'd never had an experience like that. Right when I did that, I felt compelled to check my email, which I did. And One minute prior, a patient of mine had emailed me that he was feeling suicidal. So by virtue of my having gotten that message 5,000 miles and seven time zones away, I was able to intercede and speak to my patient and literally metaphorically talk him off the ledge. So what if I hadn't woken up? Maybe my patient would have been just fine or maybe he wouldn't. And so that experience was so powerful and potent to both myself and my patient that I'd woken up like that at that time. And it really made me question just how interconnected we are and the messages that we get from far away or even from close up. And just to comment also, you know, the world works in these ways that are difficult to fully palette and understand scientifically 
or that we haven't fully studied scientifically. And even when we started this podcast, we had multiple glitches and then my internet died. My internet never dies, but something was happening with the vibration of what we were doing that somehow just, it was too high to get through the phone lines. <laughs> and so there's like these strange things, the little glitches in the universe. Synchronicities are like that. Miracles are like that. So this is what my biggest curiosities are about. Interconnectedness, synchronicities, the levels of consciousness, immortality, things of that nature. And where do those come from? How do you understand them? How do you study them scientifically? And is that all in the movie? Is that all in this film, Open Mind? It will be. It will be. Open Mind. It's halfway done. And now we're raising funds to complete the other half. Okay. How does it work when you're fundraising for a film? Because I understand vaguely the concept of fundraising through a VC for a business. How does it work with film? Well, I've completely changed my whole concept of fundraising. Before it was about raising money for a project. It's not that at all. Fundraising is about connecting to your mission, living your mission, embodying your mission, and talking to other like-minded people and figuring out how you can be of service to those people and basically mm -hmm. loving them, hearing their story, connecting to their mission. That is fundraising. It's not at all looking for money. The money comes secondarily. Yeah. It's an emergent property from doing the thing and being the thing. Yeah. We've got really good evidence for this now about happiness. You know, if you aim at material wealth, you degrade your happiness. But you aim at becoming a good human being, you aim at being serviceable, you get happiness for free. You get happiness as the, as the byproduct of pointing at meaning. So I love to hear that about fundraising. Don't point at the monetary outcome, point at the meaning, and then the money comes as a side effect. And even if it doesn't come, you've generated all this meaning. So I mean, you know, I, I sort of feel like it has to come if you do that, because if you're generating a bunch of meaning, then people fall into that attractor well. They want to be a part of what you're doing. 100%. That's exactly right. And, you know, whenever you are trying to be happier and you're focused on your own happiness, then you're going to try to fill up your happiness bucket. But then what are you giving? And it's, mm. you need to create that flow. If you take in too much and don't give enough, you don't get happy. You get really depressed. And a lot of people, you know, become really rich or a billionaire very early on and then feel so incredibly depressed and suicidal. Mm. That happens to people mm. because the light is so big and their vessel can't hold it all. So to that point, you are working perhaps with Daniel Ingram doing something similar on the Mental Health and Spiritual Center at Yale. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Nice. Yeah. So this is a center that I am in the process of starting right now at Yale. I was thrilled that Yale was excited about the initiation of such a center. I wrote my book in 2017 on the science of spirituality. I started speaking to them about that in 2017. I knocked on a few doors. The answer was a flat no. Yale was not ready. The world was not ready for the center yet. Five years later, I was sitting in a meditation retreat with Joe Dispenza and I get this download, the time for your center is now and Joe could be one of your partners. And so I knock on the exact same doors just a few months ago, the doors swing wide open. Yale is ready. Yale is excited about the center. And so the center will be a bridge between the divinity school and the medical school. Mm -hmm. It's going to be focusing on the science of spirituality and will be research, clinical work, as well as education. The research will focus on such topics as spirituality within resilience, overcoming stress, the spiritual side of psychedelic use, the fine line between being psychic and being psychotic, meditation and the power of meditation for optimizing performance, reducing stress, and helping people to overcome all sorts of mental illness and many, many topics in that regard. I read occasionally on the BBC, ketamine trial approved for depression or psychedelics approved for depression. And the explanation that I've sort of half consumed from these articles is that the drugs administered do something to our brain that mixes it up. It disrupts things and it's disruptive primarily. 
Is that the type of thing you'd be excited to look at in the center? Absolutely. And the reason I'm so interested in psychedelics is because I think psychedelics are this beautiful bridge between mind, body, and spirit. They most definitely have a neurobiologic effect. And moreover, they have a neurobiologic effect that's different from what current psychiatric drugs entail. So this is a completely novel pathway that's being explored with ketamine, with MDMA, with psilocybin, ketamine already being legal, psilocybin being legal in certain states, and MDMA soon, probably in 2024, to be legal. So they offer novel mechanism neurobiologically, but in addition to that, psychedelics are also the place where body meets spirit. So people can have very potent, powerful perceptual experiences or spiritual experiences or mystical experiences or dissociative experiences or journey experiences that then change how they see the world and actually create a whole new meaning making process for them. That's also a key part of their healing, which is why it's so interesting. I think the neurobiologically together with the meaning making. Anna, that sounds super exciting. When is the center going to be up and running? Yeah, so we just got our first donation for that and it's coming in in January and we are looking for more charitable contributions to create the center. Of course, it's to Yale University. It's going to be part of Yale. So I'm fundraising for the movie. I'm fundraising for this. I have suddenly have a new hat as a fundraiser, which I've never done before, but it's wonderful, especially because I'm not really fundraising. I'm just doing that, which it feels very aligned to me and which I feel is so important for the world. And to finish up, What is the practical edge to the topics we've spoken about today? What, as a listener, should you take home if you want to see yourself be more aligned tomorrow than you were today? Yeah, I think ultimately to look at all aspects of mind, body, and spirit, and especially spirit and soul, and start to ask yourself, what do I most deeply want? Am I connected to my soul? Do I have a relationship with my soul? The soul is often also the divine part of us. And so our connection to our soul is a connection to something greater than ourselves, to the divine spark within us. So to what degree do we connect to that? How does the idea of soul fit into your unique viewpoint? And I mean, connecting to your soul is really all about meaning making. And so you do not have to believe in God. You do not have to be a spiritual person to connect to your soul. It's about aligning with your life, feeling like your life is meaningful, feeling as though you're living an authentic life. That's really a function of your intuition as well as your rational mind and all the emotions that you as a human being feel. So how do you integrate all that to be a whole person and live a life of service, of meaning and of fulfillment? That was Dr. Anna Yusum. Anna, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you, Mark and Jamie. This has been the Contemplative Science Podcast. Thank you so much for listening this year in 2022. And we can't wait to be back next year with, if we're lucky, content that's 10% of what we've just had. So thank you, Anna. Thank you, Mark. And we'll see you in the new year. So thank you for listening to the Contemplative Science Podcast. We're available on the podcast app of your choice, as well as on YouTube as a video podcast. If you're interested in exploring the rich landscape between science and contemplative practices, check out Monash University's Centre for Consciousness and Contemplative Studies. 